You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Boll, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. Reading, writing, arithmetic, or the three R's as they used to call it, is still a fundamental concern for parents and educators who see a student struggling in one of those areas. Additional help and instruction in those areas is often a successful way to catch a student up or to move them further ahead. Today, I speak with Tia Jones. She's the Executive Center Director of the Linda Mood Bell Program in Newport Beach, California. We discussed her program, the specifics of how it works, along with the time commitment and costs associated with an enrollment. Enjoy the conversation. Tia Jones, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This should be fun. I've had a lot of personal interest in the Linda Mood Bell program, which is what we're going to talk about today. And for those that may not be familiar with it, can you give a brief explanation or an overview of what this program is all about? Sure. Um, so Linda Mobile is an organization um, that has developed programs um, really designed to address the underlying uh, uh, functions required for language and literacy development. And um, we've been around for quite some time. It's been over 30 years since um, the founders of our program um, really established as Linda Mood Bell. Um, and, and that becomes kind of a tongue twister sometimes um, where people kind of need some clarity. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Um, and, and it makes it easier when you just think about the, the, the name having come from our founders themselves. Um, so Patricia Linda Mood, who uh, was a speech and language pathologist, and Nancy Bell, who who, uh, is a reading specialist, and um, together they founded Linda Mobel officially in 1986. Oh, okay, got it. So what area does yeah. it focus on? So if a parent was going to call, for example, what areas do you think they'd be concerned about that they're looking for help with? Well, typically, I think um, what what parents are usually when they're calling, they're saying, I'm having a struggle with reading or um, with comprehension or with, say, math um, or writing. So it could be any of those things, but I think the heart of it tends to be um, centered around uh, some weakness that they're seeing or some kind of struggle in their reading skills or their, or their language comprehension. So, um, so essentially, what we're what we're looking at for them is which which area, especially of reading, because it's such a large umbrella um, of a term that encompasses so much. And a part of our work um, that really started with uh, with Pat and Nancy all those years ago in more of a clinical setting, as I mentioned, Patricia was a speech and language pathologist, and so you know when they were working with with those students, uh, both children and adults, it was really just looking at where the phonological processing, which is just one one component part of the reading process where you're wanting to just make sure that they're keeping track of sounds and letters correctly. And so then that's going to impact how they decode words. And initially, that was really where the focus was. It was mostly just on, on that auditory, um, that auditory processing and auditory in terms of more so that specific um, um, connection between uh, between the sounds themselves and uh, that relationship between them monitoring where those sounds were. And so having a student think through, you know, what sounds, how many sounds are in a word like maybe flip, so there's flip, so then there's four different sounds, 
knowing that is that phoneme awareness, but being able to blend those sounds together and actually attack the word is where that decoding skill comes from so that he can actually read the word ass flip and not read it as like silp or uh. um, plip or flop, like making those kinds of um, more mechanical errors in, in looking at a word. So was it initially um, so started for younger people then and it sounds like it's grown to older ages? It's it's really it was for both um, initially, but obviously a lot of young people we were working with absolutely um, because of the the level of reading that we were dealing with. It's a, you know if we're looking at decoding skills, you know once you get to a certain grade level, the expectation is that you're no longer really needing to learn how to decode anymore. Um, and so those younger grades for sure were were a lot of that clientele, but they were certainly seeing both. So you, you mentioned for reading, but you also mentioned for writing and math, arithmetic. So basically reading, writing, mm -hmm. arithmetic in a sense. So how, does it, how did it progress then from re, uh, the reading, which we just talked about, to writing? What sort of benefits or programs do you have for that? So I think that the way the way to think about it is really is really just that there are um, three of those sensory cognitive functions, and so we talked about one, um, which is that more phonological processing, um, that phoneme awareness. But then you know then you learn how to decode and probably even how to spell more phonetically so that you can spell a word like enough and get at least the sounds represented. But then that might look like maybe E-N-U-F, which might not make that much sense um, uh, for someone trying to read in, in, that, in that spelling. And so the other side of that really is that you're, you're really expected to move from being um, wholly in that more auditory component and thinking through just the phonological processing to starting to be more of a, a visual process where you're more orthographic. You're thinking about the letters themselves more, more than you're thinking about the sounds. And that's an important transition to make because so much of our, of our language, or I would say any language, requires you to have a quick word recognition. And that's where that sight word development comes in, where you are um, quickly recognizing um, that T-H-E says, that you're not going back to your phonological system and thinking about, oh, each of the sounds in the, you recognize that and you know that it says the, mm -hmm. well, that's that orthographic process that's working for you. And so we refer to that function as symbol imagery, where you're actually creating an image that matches the symbol and the sound. And you're holding on to that and able to have an ability to retain that so that you effectively build a, that bank of, um, of symbols that you have held on to so that your word recognition skills are much stronger. So you recognize not only the, but said and enough, the correct way to picture it. <laughs> um, and even into words like people and through all those words that you can no longer sound out even if you wanted to. And so in that initially, when, when we were working just in the phonological, we, we were able to successfully for years build on decoding skills, but we were still seeing that, that our students were having a hard time um, decoding really quickly and transitioning that to reading on the page. And so it was still be really slow and more laborious reading, whereas we wanted it to be um, much more automatic. And so that's when the program 
that we do for that reading fluency um, came about, which was the Seeing Stars program. And um, Seeing Stars really focuses on building the symbol imagery and the phonemic awareness together so that they're not only learning how to think through the sounds and use that phonological processing for quick word attack, but also use the orthographic processing or symbol imagery for also quick and accurate word recognition. Um, And putting those skills together uh, to read on the page. Ah, okay. Now, you've given us a lot of okay. great information, but when a parent calls mm-hmm. the first time, they probably aren't aware of everything you've talked about already. What sort of mm-hmm. reasons would they call? Like, what generates that phone call or that concern from a parent to seek out Linda Moodbell program to help their child? Most often, it is because they're seeing that. They're seeing that there's a decoding weakness. They're seeing that they're struggling with their reading, with their reading fluency. Um, they may even be seeing an, a weakness in that, um, that third component that has everything to do with the language, uh, mm-hmm. the language processing, which is what kind of holds um, all of your comprehension skills where, you know, if, if for a student that can decode, but still doesn't understand what they've decoded, um, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother area. And, and that that, that weakness for a student is really rooted in their lack of concept imagery, which is that third sensory cognitive function. You really want them to be able to visualize um, a, a, a word, a, a sentence, a paragraph, and see it happening in their mind. So they're actually imaging the mm-hmm. gestalt. They're imaging meaning now, and they're making a connection when they read from words to imagery. And so when a parent is calling, they're typically seeing a symptom when I keep trying to teach this sight word and they keep relearning it over and over and over again. And even though I just taught them that this word says said, we get to the next line and they still don't know it. And that's going to let me know that there's something happening in that orthographic processing. Their symbol imagery is, is weak. Um, Or she reads fine. She knows all the words, but when she gets to the end, she cannot tell me what she just read. She can't answer any questions. And that would let me know that there's a weakness in that concept imagery somewhere, that there's um, some struggle for, for that student um, in, in connecting language and imagery um, and then applying it to that reading comprehension um, or for some students even just critical thinking. They might get, you know, basic comprehension um, and some parents will say it's just memory. He can memorize what he read, but he doesn't truly understand. He doesn't truly make a connection um, and, you know, draw inferences or do the critical reasoning that, you know, you really want them to develop that Mm -hmm. skill. And when that's not happening, um, those are the symptoms that they're seeing. And so what we do is we have them come in and what we're really wanting is to do an evaluation so that we can take a look at each of those sensory cognitive functions themselves, um, where are they, where are the strengths and the weaknesses in, um, in the reading, in those component parts of reading, Mm -hmm. And what kind of instruction plan do we need to put together in order for that student to be reading and learning to their potential? Okay, so you've done the assessment. Uh, So what does it look like for a program? I'm a parent, I've listened to what you said today, or I've talked to you on the phone, I see the assessment's been done, I'm excited. Like, what what is my child going to be doing for a half hour or an hour session? So it's it's typically actually a lot more intensive than that, okay. um, which can be really fun. 
um, for <laughs> our students. They, um, we're, we are both a school and a learning center. And so oh. the, the benefit of that is that a lot of what we were talking about and thinking about those sensory cognitive functions and how we're going to, you know, kind of give this prescription, so to speak, of what, what our plan is, what are we going to be working on for that student. Um, in our learning center, they would be coming to us either one-to-one or perhaps in a small group. And that would be them coming in our center or even working with us in live online sessions. And so we have lots of um, modalities to complete this instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, but our standard recommendation um, in our learning center would be five days a week for four hours a day. Oh, wow. Okay. But that's, and, that's functioning as a school. That's not just like after school, for example, at that point. Maybe. I mean, it really does depend. I see students during the school year. Um, we might have students coming to us anywhere from two to six hours a day. Oh. Um, we may have students coming to us for just one hour a day. But the key is that we're wanting, when we give that recommendation, if we're seeing that a student has a need for remediation, which means that there is a weakness in one of those areas, then we're going to want to see them every single day, five days a week, for mm-hmm. a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that period is what really varies dependent on their evaluation um, and we're in that building of their individualized plan. But our average recommendation at the five days a week, four hours a day, um, is typically somewhere between six and eight weeks. So it's usually, you know, a pretty compacted time. Um, and then the more we sort of back off of the hours per day, the longer span of weeks we're looking at. So if they're coming for two hours a day, we could be looking at maybe a three or four week, uh, sorry, three or four month program. Um, Whereas if we're looking at four hours a day, it could be a one and a half to two month program. So I'm going to guess that it's Um, probably better to do it in the four to six hour chunks and do it more quickly than it is to stretch it out. I'm sure it depends on the age of the child and their stamina and things like that. But in a best case situation, is those longer blocks and more effective? Absolutely. You definitely took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to (laughs) say best case. I mean, you know, I think that for a lot of our students, what we are, what we are looking at is this is the best recommendation. We want it to be as intensive as possible. And because we see students as young as four, you know, we could be seeing them at a mature four, um, five years old um, through adult. And that really is not necessarily the determining factor for how many hours they can handle. I've had mm. four, four and a half, five-year-olds that could do a six-hour day wow. easier than a 12-year-old that I've seen <laughs> that I have to go back and only do two hours. <laughs> so it really does depend on the student, but our, our, our knowledge and all of the research that, um, that we've done has been really taking a look at the impact of that intensity um, on on the way that our, that our brain and those different areas of processing are being affected. And so that's the way that we want to build that instruction. Okay, got it. So if, you know, I think about four to six hours, I think, okay, great, maybe it's perfect for my child, for example. Uh, but I also would then start probably thinking about cost. So what would the general cost be for a parent? And is it possible to incorporate it into an IEP where maybe the district is going to pick up part of that cost? 
Um, so I think I would probably answer those questions separately. Okay. Um, if I if I just think about cost in our in our learning center instruction where they're coming one to one, it is a um, a fee that can vary slightly based on location. But here in Newport Beach, our hourly rate is one hundred and twenty two dollars an hour for one to one. And if we find that this student is a good fit for um, to work in a group with one to two other students, then there's more. There's a, a little over 50% savings off of that one-to-one rate. Um, so that group rate is is the same in no matter which location, but the okay. hourly uh, rate might vary just slightly, just depending on where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, so then your total cost of instruction, because we're invoicing weekly, you're really looking at a weekly tuition based on the number of hours that you're completing each week. Okay, I understand. All right, so the okay. second part of that question then regarding you know, like an IEP, is it possible to have the district help fund some of that? Mm-hmm. So we don't, we can't, we do have the ability to contract with any entity, and we have, um, uh, including schools. We've been able to to contract with um, with different with different entities um, who are providing instruction for a student. Um, however, we don't determine if a school will do that, and I couldn't say whether or not they would. It really does depend on that other party. Okay. Yeah, I guess the reason I was asking is should should a parent say, "Hey, you know, my child is struggling with reading. Let's say we have uh, uh, dyslexia or something. I enjoyed. I think this is a great program, this London Mood Bell program. Would it be realistic then for a parent to say, "I want this to be incorporated into the IEP for the school"? And it sounds like that does happen. Mm-hmm. It, we have. I can say that we have seen students that have come from schools, both public and private. Yes. Okay. So, Tia, do you mind if I ask a question about you? Sure. So what is it about the program that draws you in? You're working for it. You're an executive director there. Obviously, you believe in it. What are some of the things that you see that make you think, you know, this is great. I really enjoy this. You know, I I think that one of the one of the things that really stands out to me, I've I've actually been with Linda Bell for um, over or going on 14 years now. Um, And I have uh, been in learning centers all all across the United States, and um, and ha- being able to see from place to place that what we do we really specialize in, and it doesn't change. It's not. It doesn't look different from one location to the next. We've really been able to standardize um, our what our tr- what our instruction looks like for students, and uh, and being able to see the wide variance of students that we see, um, be able to benefit from from that instruction um, has been something that has really uh, really kind of kept me wanting to make this happen for more and more and more students. Um, you know, we have students that need a lot of remediation, you know, where we're looking at years of, of time, but we have a lot more, we have a lot more students that if we could just take this, you know, these next two months, this next month and a half, it could effectively, and it does change their life, you know, forever. And that's just something that I think is, is special and is difficult to um, to really uh, explain. It's something that you really have to see. You have to see, um, you know, that light bulb go off for a student that has never been able to get it. You know, they've never gotten math until you addressed the concept imagery and then applied it to math. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, this makes so much sense. 
much more sense to me. Um, and so that really has been, I think, for me, the biggest driving force is just seeing the seeing that we are who we are and that we're, you know, not only driven by research, but that we take that research and go back and make sure that we're using it so that the research can, continues to validate what we're doing. And, and that is just something that I think is um, pretty extraordinary. Tia Jones, thanks so much for your information and for your time today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.